Hello, um, my name is Dina Schattenkirk and thank you very much for coming to the Talk Popsy event. And your name is? George Sheldon. Wonderful. And and what do you do professionally? Uh, I was an architect. I recently retired. Very great. Very recently. Very great. All right. So uh, our topic that we're dealing with now is art as cognition or art. What do you think people get out of art? So I guess as an architect, you'd have like lots of thoughts about that. Yes and no. Well, yeah, okay. yeah I do. Okay. Actually, I had a, uh, a long time ago, I got a master's degree in architectural theory. Oh, cool. And my oh. conclusion was there is no theory of architecture. There's only the practice of architecture. Yeah. You know, I've wondered about that. I mean, there's lots of, um, oh gosh, who was it that wrote uh, Complexity and Contradiction? Ventura. Yes, that in particular right. irks me. Okay, okay, okay. So partly because yeah. I was the architect for very my biggest project, which was the ferry terminal in Manhattan. Yeah, the new ferry terminal in Manhattan. Oh yeah, that's cool. The I was the architect. The designer was from Venturi's office originally, and he carried over from Venturi's office some of Venturi's ideas, which I thought were trivial. So talk about this. I mean, I mean, he kind of. As I remember the theory, right, he sort of set the stage for postmodernism. Yes. Right? Was this like that's 1965? Right. Am 19, I early 1970s. Is that right? Okay. Yes. Okay. And his uh, big thought was that architecture, buildings are signs. Well, signs. the ancient Greeks and Romans knew that, or the Mesopotamians and the Egyptians knew that structures convey meaning. Yeah. Or signs. And they do. So. I don't know. I think Venturi's fame was based more on architecture critics writing about his really one thought. Yeah. And he never really was known for doing very good architecture. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask it's you It's hard another. to point at a building he designed that yeah, people today think is a good building. Yeah, I don't know of one. And you could say that about postmodernism in general. Most of the buildings that were so-called postmodernist buildings were embarrassed. Ten, even 10 years later were embarrassments. Yeah. But they're like still the, there, of course, because buildings don't disappear. Um, what was that called? Um, see, this is not my, my special. Well, there's like Brute? on Madison. What was it called? Brute? Oh, before that, New Brutalism. New Brutalism, right. Which like is, that one. Right. we are no still one, living with today. Yeah, no one likes you know, that anymore. No. Even at the time, people who had to use the buildings hated them. Yeah. You know, and when you look back, there was very little difference between the New Brutalism and what commun the so-called... Communists love concrete. Yes. Commies love concrete really style funny. of architecture. You look now, the two are indistinguishable, except that New Brutalism had a theory behind it. Yeah. You know, and there were a few, few buildings done by the geniuses like Lucan. Oh, yeah. Well, that which have endured art forum building on Spring Street was a, was one, wasn't it? I don't remember that. I think so. So, yeah. you see, I have a... I have a real problem with architectural theory to this day. Yeah, I remember, I remember, because I used to write for them, going to that building and going, oh my God, what an amazing building. I'm pretty sure, right? <laughs> well, and uh, when I was doing this master's course in, at the and, University of London. Oh, is, is that right? Yeah, a master's degree in architecture, which was actually architectural theory. University College of London? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cool. Great school, um, yeah. You know, it was the era of Foucault was a novelty mm -hmm. and people like that. And so there was a lot of, and um, Claude Levi-Strauss, and a lot of thinking about, you know, oh, what are the kind of the underpinnings of thought, modern thought, you know, and deconstructing theories. But when you get down to it, for architecture, let's say, it doesn't really work. Okay, so what do, 
architecture is so important, right? I mean, I think of Walter Benjamin's, and I, I I'm trying to pull it up, but I remember the lovely description about how film was kind of like architecture. It was in um, Age of Mechanical Reproduction, but I can't remember the passage. Film but, is like architecture? You mean in that it, cre it constructs a world? Yes, yes and you go right. through time, That's you know? Right. So it's not like a, a one-shot thing, you know? you It's a moment after moment after moment that sort of accrues together, and then mm -hmm. you have a whole, like, but it's physical. Right. right. And if you think about the architecture in New York, that's the most successful Grand Central Terminal is my favorite, yeah. number one favorite by a long way. Yeah. It's more that the function, as a functional solution, it's brilliant. The fact that it's clad in travertine and has columns here and there is almost irrelevant. And that's an example of a building, like part of Venturi's thing is you had to have a huge sign that said entrance and things like that. Yeah. Grand Central Terminal, you, if you look, there's hardly any sign on the outside of the building, but you know yeah. where the entrance is. Yeah. Or well, you clear. will soon figure it out once you watch other people. That's right. The, right. So it's a very social thing. Right. Yeah. And the flow through the building is clear. You really don't, I don't think almost no one pays any attention to the sign. Certainly not anybody who uses the building regularly. Yeah. So it. Really, it's architecture perfected, and the style is really irrelevant. You know, so much of the discussion. Even the visual style. Yeah, the uh, details. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the fact that it has columns and things like that. So what is it that architecture is doing then? Well, it's really, the best architecture really is a functional solution. If the functional solution isn't good, it's bad architecture, and the people who use the building will hate it. And if the functional solution, how people move through the building and the sequence of spaces and all that. Like one of the things that makes Grand Central Station so successful is you enter through small spaces. Even the main lobby off 42nd Street is quite small. That is true. And then Do you it mean where the subway is? Do you mean where the 6th train is? Like that uh, If you come in off from 42nd Street, you're oh, under okay. the um, overpass, Park Avenue over Viaduct. Oh, right. Okay. You go in through some doors. You're in a small entry. Then it opens up into a bigger... It's I think it's called Vanderbilt Hall. It used to be the main waiting room. And then you go into the main space in Grand Central, a big space. So you've gone through this progression of spaces that seems natural. Just like big cathedrals are like that. You always enter a big cathedral oh, through a very small vestibule. Yeah. And then there's like an intermediate space. And then finally you're in the big cathedral space. So. Okay. All right. So let me think about this. So what you're doing when you go through Grand Central or a cathedral or something like that, you have this like initial, almost closed feeling, right? People are next to you. Uh, it's kind of intimate, but in, this is my own take mm -hmm. on it, right? A little oppressive in some ways, right? You walk into yes, this like, that's right. right, right, is that right? Okay. And then, and then there's this moment of like transformation or transcendence, right? That's right. Then you go into the big open space and everyone's suddenly free, right? Is that what's going on? That's right. And I've yeah. only been in uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, the Vatican once, uh, twice, that I, and it was a long time ago. But as I remember, even there, it's like that. You enter through a fairly cramped vestibule, given the number of people yeah. who can be in it. And then you then suddenly you're in this immense space. So I think the fact you've gone through a small space, it magnifies the experience it's of... It's the contrast, yeah. It's literally breathtaking. You know, yeah. it's like, when I went in there, I thought, I couldn't imagine any building could be this big. It was like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. Yeah. So, you know, in the Baroque era, or late Renaissance Baroque era architects who designed, like, the Vatican, and 
they were masters of that kind of progression and manipulation of spaces. They where they could make small spaces seem much bigger because there was a surprise element. So it's a psychological thing that it's accomplishing. Right? That's right. And for instance, like um, people clearly prefer Greenwich Village to Sixth Avenue in Midtown. Right? Greenwich yeah. Village is like a succession of intimate spaces. So yeah. every street is like an intimate space. Yeah. You're you feel like you're inside the spaces. Whereas when you get especially in the suburbs, space is just um uh, has no characteristics. There's a building, there's a building, there's another building. So in suburban areas, there's really no urban space at all. Yeah, yeah. And you have no experience of space. You're just like, oh, there's a building. Some buildings are more interesting than others, but there's no cohesion. Yeah, and it's super neutral. That's right. Yeah. It's almost like platonic space. A know? little bit, but, you know, I'm thinking of Dan Graham's work. I don't know if you know his, like, early conceptual photographs. He did, like, suburbs, right? Mm. And it was, like, so incredibly frighteningly empty. Right? That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, well, and yeah. that's your experience of suburbs is there are no people. Yeah. You know, I bicycled over to Staten Island a month or so ago. I grew up in Staten Island. Oh, yeah? And that was coming from the city to going to Staten Island. There are no people here. You see nobody on the streets. You know, Staten Island's a suburban place. The people who are out are mostly driving. You know, when it during rush hour, there are people going to work, but I was there at 11 in the morning. Let's say yeah. there were no people. It was an empty place. So then it that reminded me of why I wanted to leave Staten Island so yeah, yeah, right. badly. <laughs> there's a reason no one's yes, there. Right? Yeah. There's a reason I left and never yeah, went yeah. back. So, so then it seems that what you're saying is that architecture then can't really fulfill a function very well unless there's people somehow involved in the interaction with their bodies and that material. Right? And the yes, and the experience and of the people like um, and each other. You've been to London, right? Yeah, yeah. You're familiar with Covent Garden, the actual Covent Garden Market. Yeah. You know, My Fair Lady Market. Yeah, yeah. When I was going to school, it was in the transition from being a wholesale market to being the tourist market it is today. It's completely lost its meaning, really. You know, and in that, it was very unique when it was a flower and vegetable market. Now it's like. A lot of other places in the world, Fanwell Hall or uh, the pier in San Francisco, yeah, yeah. because it, it, the function of Kamgarn has become generic, really. Yeah, yeah. Tourist cafes, tourist restaurants, things like that. So the st structures are the same, but the significance of the place is completely transformed. But, okay, but. I'm going back to this like no theory thing, right? Because it seems like you do have a very robust theory about architecture. <laughs> well, the thing about architecture is there's fragments of theory like that are very useful. Like um, there are like some very technical things about how when you design a space, like the difference between an inside corner and an outside corner in yeah, terms yeah. of perception and flow and things like that, technical things. Yeah. And certainly proportion, like theories of proportion really haven't changed since the time of the Greeks. Yeah, because, In fact, yeah, it's yeah. surprising how when you look at good building, modern buildings, they're still proportioned in the same proportion system that the Greeks were using. Yeah. So there's certainly aspects like that, but I think good architecture really, architecture only seems good when it's in an 
urban. It relies on the context, the yeah. urban context. Okay, okay. So let me let me take a couple things off of that, right? So one is that ooh, this is the wrong word, right? So forgive me because I know it's the wrong word, but that architecture is parasitic on human interaction in order to have meaning. No, but, I think that's a good word to use. Is that a yes. good word? Right. Okay. But, right, but I have in my head a counterexample, right? And I've seen tons of them. You have too, right? You go in the countryside and there's this exquisite structure, right? And that's not relying on social interaction. Just the structure itself is phenomenal. You mean phenomenal. like a barn? A beautiful, a barn, an Amish or, barn, let's say. Yeah, or a house or... You know. Well, I think that's because we're we're seeing that and we're immediately projecting onto it a, a very complex set of thoughts of what it represents, what it is, the lifestyle. Oh, of course, you're right. Of you're, course. You're bringing to it. Of course. You're overlaying on top of it a history that you're assuming that's right. happened You, you look at building. a country barn and you go, oh... Oh, house, farmer, right, right. the time when a family could be have a family farm and be successful. Oh, you're absolutely right about that. So by comparison, like if you look at the star architect type building that tends to sit in open space, Frank Geary buildings, let's say, and things like that, yeah. it's they're like very big decorative objects. They could be ashtrays in that shape. Uh huh. They could have any function. Often they could have any function. They wouldn't, they're usually museums, let's say, but they don't have to be museums. They could be something else, right? Oh, I get, your, I get it, exactly. So, all right, so if they are parasitic on human stories, right, and human interaction, then we, like, like you were saying before, we have to bring those stories to that or we have to experience it in the moment. Like Grand Central, you don't have to really experience the history of Grand Central to walk no. in and have that experience. You'll just have that with other people, right? That's right. Right, yeah. Like this building right here is an example. Yeah. 40 years ago, everybody would have said, what a dump. I wouldn't work in there if you paid me double. Right. And right, now right. people go, I'll work in there for half the amount of money. It's so cool. Yeah, right. It's still the same dump. It's still the same thing. It's just been layered with a different kind of meaning. That's right. 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 That is one of the things that I like a lot about art is that I see it as, and this is what you're tuning into, I see it as a kind of abstract object. So it's not really the physical thing that is the artwork. It is the abstract, really mental object that we build off of that physical thing. And that thing is constantly morphing. That abstract object is constantly morphing. So what Grand Central means right now, hmm, that's not a good example. You're right. This building is a better example, right? So what that means right now is entirely a different abstract object than what it meant 40 years ago. It's like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. scientists who study uh, sight and perception say, your eye, what comes, the electromagnetic radiation that comes into your eye isn't what your brain sees. Your brain makes form, it up, makes images. Yep, yep, yep. And you know, it, totally. As you totally, and as you know, there are many yeah. experiments which show most of what our eye sees we don't perceive because yeah. we can only perceive a certain amount. We and we perceive things that we don't see because we fill in the blanks. We fill in the blanks all the time. You know, there's been some research done recently that's so super interesting. I think you'd like this, right? Um, there's several researchers at NYU: one biologist, one mathematician, and another person from the biology. Cheriker is one name, Young is another, right? So they've been doing research on what the retina 
gives to the rest of the brain, right? right. And so it passes through a part of the midbrain called the LGN, the lateral geniculate nucleus, right? And that and then it goes to the visual cortex in the back. Right. So exactly what you're saying. So like their example that I remember reading was so astounding to me was like, if you look at a full moon and you just think of a quarter of that section and that perceptual data that's coming into your retina, mm -hmm. it's only 10 neurons that hit the LGN. But then when it hits the, the visual cortex, the first layer is 4,000 neurons. So it's the visual cortex that is exactly what you're saying. It's making it up. That's right. Yeah. Creating... <laughs> It's creating what you see. Yes, right. And, and on the basis of other things that you've seen in the past. So there is almost no naked image that we just like perceive and get, you know? We, Here's an, a mundane yeah, example. Yeah. There was last year, there was a white scooter parked on my block every day. And then one night I'm coming home and I see, and then I notice, oh, the white scooter's parked around the corner. The next morning I went out, it was a different yellow scooter parked around the corner. But because I'd been seeing this white scooter every day in front of my house, well, I looked and saw a scooter and thought, oh, God, the guy with the white scooter had to park around the corner. Yeah. I did my eye, I'm sure, saw yellow. My brain didn't. Didn't see it. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, who was it? Oh, Jeremy Bentham, the 19th century philosopher, yeah, right. wrote a really nice book that I've still seen it in lawyers' offices about the difficulty of first-person accounts oh. of crimes, right? <laughs> That's right. You know? That's what I was thinking about, yeah. the unreliability of witnesses. Yeah. You know, and I know I saw it. Really? Yeah. You know, all these poor people who have been in, convicted and spent years in jail right. based on eyewitness testimony that later turned out to be impossible. Yeah, I know. It's really... And it, it it's not malevolent, I think, a lot no. of times. I think, you people know, it's believe, like... People believe they saw what they... yeah. What they think they saw. That's right. I know it's a real. It's yeah, it's a real heart. Yeah, I know. All right, so let's go back to architecture then, because that was still interesting, right? So, what then makes us care about a building aesthetically or as an art object? What is it that becomes important to us? Well, there's the meaning. Well, the person, the functional meaning. It's a church. Yeah. Or it's a courthouse. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, then there's the personal experiences, you know, like everybody builds up this history of personal experience. Like if you've lived in a neighborhood for a long time, you build up personal experience with all the, this corner had the butcher. Oh, I remember this corner used to have a butcher shop. Now it's a coffee shop type thing. Yeah. So there's like a personal history of the space that you regularly live in. And even the places you visit, like my experience of Florence, Italy, would be it's a different representation in my mind than yours just because yeah. we're different people yeah and you it's know. real hard to understand what somebody else's is right and why some to some people like there there are certain places and i can't explain it, it odd in ordinary corners that will pop up in my mind and i can't remember anything dramatic ever happening but i vividly remember that corner yeah yeah i know what you're saying yeah i, I can't imagine why but for some reason, that particular configuration has some kind of significance I've never de been able to divine. You know, something that just flipped into my mind, and I was never aware of it before, and I don't know why it came now, but you know when you come off the Brooklyn Bridge, right there, there's the IRS building? I'm pretty sure. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well... You know, like a lot of people, you know. I, you mean may, when you come off the Brooklyn Bridge and you're going straight like down Adams Street? Right. Yes, right. okay. The, for, right, the building on the right yeah. is like the iron. Right. And 
you know, I just did my taxes like everybody, right? And the spend days. Right now, you know, the IRS makes me nervous. Like it makes a lot of people nervous. Yes, right. but, you know, like I'm not afraid of very much, but I am afraid of the IRS. You know, like I am very careful about that, right? Uh, and I just kind of realized that every time I come down, I don't like that building. You know, and I never kind of articulated in my, and I always thought, oh, what an ugly building. But of course, it's not the building. See, that's what I mean. Exactly. That's a good example. Right. It's because it's the IRS. That's right. And I never, I never formulated that thought before. No, there are certain streets I try to avoid going down because I had projects on that street that were nothing but aggravation. And I don't want to be reminded. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. I had that experience today. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I walked by a, you know, I walked by a building earlier and I remembered that the person who had lived in that building had stolen something from me many ah. years before. And I was like, I still hate that building. And I was just like, that is so irrational. That's like, what I mean about the, is, the personal know. meaning projected onto yes. a structure. Right. Which to me would make no sense. I would probably look and joke, well, there's a building. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's very, so is there any way, right? So this is the, the, the question that comes up, right? Is there any way that we can look at a building, hmm, how would you say this? Goodman used this phrase, right? With virgin eyes, right? I don't like the phrase, but, you know, like just look at it without any hiss. What would well, that mean? Well, now you're getting to, I can't remember which philosopher it was who went on and on about uh, kind of the, about aesthetics, about Right, this is in the 1800s. Was it Kant or? Well, he did. Maybe one of those who I generally don't find interesting, but went on and on and on about, well, how do you define what's good as opposed to, well, of course, this is especially relevant to you. Yeah. How do you define what's good as compared to something that's bad? What's good art compared to bad art? Yeah, it's real. Yeah. You know, like. And we have these standards. I mean, we do have standards. And I can't explain because most conceptual artists, think are a complete waste of time but there are a few like Pipilotti Rust is that a yeah 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 who I find really interesting and I can I hardly too, explain yeah. why yeah you know or uh maybe he's dead now Borofsky Jonathan Jonathan Borofsky? yeah 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 I didn't yeah I think you're right I think he is yeah um yeah and he did some things were very strange but I found compelling but I can't explain why I find them interesting most other conceptual artists like um the shark in the tank guy. Yeah, yeah. I I can't if I go through a museum and they have an exhibit of his a shark and I can't. I yeah. Well, that is so much the story Hearst, that's layered on. Hearst. Yeah, that's right. That is so much the story that's layered on in those situations, right? But yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. All right, so you know, with arch- yeah. I would mention one thing about architecture is there are some underlying rules like theory report. One of the architectural organizations I belong to is it's called the Classical Institute of Architects, or maybe they changed the name slightly, Institute of Classical Art and Architecture. So, and in some of the things they talk about, it's all columns and this and that. But at the, at the essence, they're really trying to del- extract the real principles of what makes eternal architecture, what makes some buildings eternally good and other buildings, you want to knock them down right away. And they know, like, symmetry, it's true, symmetry is appealing to people. Yeah. You know, we went through, the, we've gone through this period of jagged deconstructionism, and yeah. which isn't lasting. People hate those buildings, generally. Yeah. You know, and uh, proportion, and, you know, not having columns on everything, but on, you strip away the columns and there's still kind of in classical architecture and or modern architecture based on these classical principles. Things where you can go, 
that's an attractive building. Yeah, it's true. I mean, these principles, these sort of formalist principles, right, yes. are kind of like written into the genes. They, you it's know? part of our, at least in Western culture, it's part of our psychology. But, you know, I don't know if it really varies a lot. I mean, you know, the meaning that's attached to colors are pretty consistent across human. I mean, you know, there are some differences because, you know, like white, the colors white end up being different things. Like sometimes mm. it's funeral, sometimes it's wedding, right? So, you know, those variations do happen. But things like what, what, what am I doing here? A grid, right? You know, um, vertical, horizontal lines, that kind of grid work, right? Makes everybody feel stable. Diagonals make everybody feel that's right. Right. These are basic things about how our body functions in the world. Exactly. It's not going to change. Oh, and getting back to, to one year. thing yeah. we were talking about before about architectures, you are experiencing while you're moving, you're moving through space or moving through streets and yeah. squares and things like that. So it's partly related to movement. And we move at the same pace that we always, we move the same pace that cavemen moved at. It's true. Unless we're in a car. Yeah. And that's where the car throws everything off. You know. let, let me tell you one more thing, speaking of cavemen, right? Somebody who came here a couple of weeks ago for a conversation made the point that art is very, and it would be very true for architecture, that art is very evolutionarily important because, and that it was an advantage to early cave people who had those cave drawings right. because everybody would stand in front of them and kind of agree on the meaning and mm. experience this stuff as a unit. So it would really give access into other people's minds. You know, like you walk into a cathedral or you walk into Grand Central, the person next to you is experiencing this in the same way that you yes, are. Yes, I agree with and that. And you share that with yes. that person, right? So it's this social shared experience right? And allows us to then navigate the world as a unit instead of just navigating the world as individuals. Does that sound about right? Right. And I think the creation of these structures too is a shared experience. Yeah. You know, like um, if you read the Bible, it, you, it would have you believe that the Jews were slaves and they built the pyramids. The most current research seems to indicate Egyptians were paid in the off season. The farmers who didn't have anything to do in the winter were paid for four or six months to go work on the pyramids and constructing the pyramids in the cities and the sphinxes and everything was a collective experience that they actually they didn't mind. In fact, they might have looked forward to it because it's the one time of the year they got out of the village and they oh. it was a social experience that they never would have otherwise. You get away from the wife and the children and the four people you know see every day and you're with 10,000 other people building a pyramid. Does sound, yeah, it does sound fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Compared to yeah, yeah. farming Compared weed to in the, along holes. the Nile. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, George, thank you so much. Oh, this was like been a pleasure. so much fun. I'm so glad that oh, you good, did this. Oh, good, good. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>